This is Africa Digest. It's the 24th of September. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. If you are from South Africa, happy Heritage Day. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Nosithia Zuma, Tracy Boomgaard, as well as Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. The Botswana High Court accepts four nominations for presidential candidates who will contest next month's elections. Malawi hosts a five-day conference of the Electoral Commissioner's Forum for SADC countries. In economics, Egypt Air announces up to 50% discount on business class fares between Cairo and most of the airliners' uh, international destinations. And lastly in sport, Rugby World Cup hosts Japan are confident of beating anyone ahead of their crunch pool A match against Ireland on Saturday. But right now, let's cross on over to the news desk. Here is Nosikha Zuma with your latest news bulletin. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. Good evening. As preparations intensify for a national dialogue called by President Paul Beer to end the crisis that has killed at least 2,000 people in Cameroon's English-speaking regions, violent fighting has killed dozens and led to travel disruptions in the Central African state. Electricity supply has been interrupted following the burning of equipment, while the military has been deployed to replace teachers who are escaping to safer localities. Moki Ginze reports from Nyaunde. As the violence continue, Cameroon Prime Minister John Gute has been consulting with political party leaders, civil society activists, opinion leaders, traditional rulers, lawmakers and clergy to gather the proposals that will be submitted for examination during the national dialogue announced from September 30 to October 4 in Yaoundé for a definitive return to peace. Civil society groups and opposition political parties are calling for the unconditional release of Anglophone separatist leaders and other prisoners before discussions begin. Malawi is hosting a five-day conference for Electoral Commissioners Forum for SADC countries in the commercial capital Blantyre. This is despite that the Human Rights Defenders Coalition HRDC continues to pressure the Malawi Electoral Commission MEC Chairperson Jane Ansa to resign on claims that she mismanaged the May 21 presidential elections. From Blantyre, George Mhango reports. The conference started on Monday and is held at a time when Chair Jane Ansa is under fire from opposition political parties and some human rights bodies over management of the May 21 presidential polls. She, however, has not resigned and President Peter Mutarika, who appointed her, declined to fire her. Ansa maintained during her opening speech that the May 21 presidential polls were credible and approved by international observer mission teams. The opposition, mainly Mala Congress Party MCP, and United Transformation Movement, UDM, are challenging the results in the Constitutional Court. The opposition parties want the results to be nullified. 
Tanzania has summoned the World Health Organization representative in the country over the agency's statement regarding Ebola cases in the region. The WHO says the Tanzanian government has refused to share information on suspected Ebola cases. The government says the move is to, to establish what evidence the organization has to support its claims. President Paul Kagame has called on partners in the healthcare sector to implement universal access to healthcare initiatives to improve the welfare of people across the world. President Kagame was speaking at a high-level meeting on universal health coverage ahead of the 74th United Nations General Assembly underway in New York in the United States. Sharing Rwanda's experience in the efforts towards universal access to healthcare, Kagame noted that the countries approached had employed multiple strategies strategies, including expanding the network of community health workers from two per village to four. The president says universal access to health care is a defining feature in modern society and affords people dignity. And finally, sources from Downing Street say British Prime Minister Boris Johnson will not resign following a court ruling that found he acted unlawfully in advising the Queen over the suspension of Parliament. The Supreme Court ruled the suspension void and said it was an intentional attempt by Johnson to limit MPs from scrutinizing his Brexit process. Johnson is in the U.S. where he is expected to address the U.N. General Assembly. He will hold a conference call with ministers in his cabinet before he leaves the the U.S. This comes as Britain's parliament is set to resume tomorrow. Speaking in the U.S., Johnson says he may not agree with the ruling, but he will abide by it. For Channel Africa News, I'm Nosihe Zuma. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. The Botswana High Court has accepted four nominations for presidential candidates who will contest next, next month's elections. These include incumbent President Mokhwezi Masisi of the Botswana Democratic Party, Duma Boko of the Opposition Umbrella for Democratic Change, the leader of the newly formed Botswana Patriotic Front, Bigi Butale, and Ndaba Khaulate of the Alliance for Progressives. The High Court has submitted the nominations to the Independent Electoral Commission, which marks the official kickoff of the presidential race. The Southern African country is heading to the polls on the 23rd of October. Channel Africa asked Botswana political expert Professor Zibani Maundeni about the upcoming polls, and he says it will be a tightly contested election. I think it depends on the on the performance of the party during the, the coming election. Uh, the party that has the, the largest number sure. of voters, its its leader becomes becomes the president of the of, of the country, and whether such a party would have enough majority to introduce its policies start meeting a lot of resistance from the other the other parties. That 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 remains to be to be seen. So basically the elections will decide uh, who among the four becomes becomes the president of the country. Now these elections prof will be significant in many fronts, isn't it? This is the first time that 
the country is heading to the polls with former president Ian Kama returning to active politics in new party colors and his brother Chikedi Kama will be on the opposing side as he is still a member of the ruling BDP which makes it even more interesting. What are the factors that will sway the vote do you think? This participation as an opposition uh, activist is, is likely to divide the, the BGP vote. Remember, he, he left the ruling party with uh, a significant number of supporters to form, to form a new party. Sure. And the party was formed as recently as you can imagine. Now, whether the, part, the new party has marketed itself enough to be known to the electorate, to be able to divide the BGP vote, we are not sure, but we know he's busy campaigning around the country for uh, either the new party or for the for the umbrella umbrella UDC. So we yeah, it is a very interesting election. We are likely to see to see changes happening. Now, do you think uh, Chikedi will remain loyal and stay with his father's party at BDP, or do you think he could join his brother at BPF? We we don't know, but but. As for now, the the Kama has decided that he will stick with the with the ruling party. I, I I don't know what promises the the current president has, has made. It looks like he's determined to remain with the BDP for, for for the present. Whether he will win and then decide, we also don't know. But yeah, it, it's a it's a tricky a tricky situation that we find ourselves in. Now, whichever way the vote could go, Prof, how important is this vote for Botswana in terms of determining the future trajectory of the country? If the umbrella coalition wins, we we should expect new changes in the in the process. They they are taking off a lot of things, rating. 100,000 jobs and things like that. We, we are likely to, to see a lot of a lot of changes in making. But of course, it will also depend on the partnership that they have forged with Ian Kama. Because it looks like his interest is to prevent persecution of himself. And if the UDC wins and then turn around and say, yeah, we're, we're putting you on side, that, that may jeopardize the coalition. He may challenge it significantly, like he did with the civilian party. And that may present problems for the new, new coalition. And that was Professor Zibani Maundeni of the Botswana political uh, Botswanian political analyst on the line from the capital, Khabaroni, talking to Kumbelo Munzelele. As preparations intensify for a national dialogue called by President Paul Beer to end the crisis that has killed at least 20,000 people in Cameroon's English-speaking regions, violent fighting between separatists and the military has killed dozens and led to travel disruptions in the Central African state. Electricity supply has been interrupted in most English-speaking towns following the burning of the equipment while the military has been deployed to replace teachers who are again escaping to safer localities. Moki Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. 45-year-old Gottfried Metuge heeded to the call of the Cameroon government to return and teach in the English-speaking southwestern town of Mamfi when the school year in the Central African nation began last September 2. Metuge has again fled for his life to Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé. It's because of the insecurity there. I was traumatized. My children were traumatized. And there are many people who had, from the trauma, they went to serious depressions. And from serious depressions, some even passed on. 
Metuge said violent attacks by separatist fighters intensified when Cameroon President Paul Biya on September 10 announced that he was convening a national dialogue to solve the crisis in the English-speaking regions and did not release separatist leader Ayuk Tabi and his 10 collaborators who were given life prison sentences by a military tribunal in Yaoundé. 47-year-old trader Mbaku Etienne, who has also fled from the English-speaking northwestern town of Ndop, says he thinks that the shooting they have been experiencing since September 10, when Bia called for the national dialogue, will stop if the president frees separatist leaders. I mean, what I think it should be added before the dialogue is he should personally grant a general amnesty to the detainees to calm down people who are angry so that they should participate in the dialogue. The military reports increasing gun battles in the English-speaking northwestern towns of Kumbu, Ndop, Bamenda, Bafut, Kam, Mbengwe, Bambui, and the southwestern towns of Boya, Kumba, Mamfe, Eyumojok, and Motengene has left about 25 dead within the past two weeks. Electricity supply has been interrupted in most northwestern towns after separatist fighters pulled down and burned high-tension cables and electricity equipment. They also destroyed nine schools and blocked several roads into the English-speaking regions and blew off tankers transporting fuel to English-speaking towns. The military said it had deployed troops to protect civilians and their property. Colonel Sonet Joseph Ajang, Director of Administrative and Regulatory Affairs in Cameroon's Ministry of Defense, says they have deployed teachers who are military personnel to schools hardest hit by the violence. Their role is to teach and to ensure that security in the school vicinity is guaranteed. We want to make a shift by giving firm instructions to the head teachers to ensure that they bring the attention of the hierarchy to absentee teachers who are military personnel because teaching staff who are absent compromise the future of our children whom they have under their duty to ensure that education is dispatched to them. Bernard Okala Bilai Governor of Cameroon's English-speaking Southwest region says fighters should drop their guns and have confidence that the dialogue will address issues they have been raising. I'm appealing to drop their arms, to stop all the atrocities. Our children are not going to school for three years. Please, can those who are preventing children stop? Can those who have disturbed the economy because they wanted the dialogue stop so that we go to dialogue now? and come back with peace. As the violence continue, Cameroon Prime Minister John Gute has been consulting with political party leaders, civil society activists, opinion leaders, traditional rulers, lawmakers and clergy to gather the proposals that will be submitted for examination during the national dialogue announced from September 30 to October 4 in Yaoundé for a definitive return to peace. Civil society groups and opposition political parties are calling for the unconditional release of Anglophone separatist leaders and other prisoners before discussions begin. Separatist groups have on social media called the dialogue a non-event.
They say they became a sovereign state called Amazonia on October 1, 2017, when Ayuk Tabe, their leader, declared their independence and they are expecting the international community to intervene for the government in Yaoundé to order its troops out of Amazonia. The conflict in Cameroon's English-speaking regions has killed more than 2,000 people, internally displaced more than 500,000, and caused more than 50,000 Cameroonians to seek refuge in Nigeria, according to the United Nations. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlec to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Thanks. I tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Malawi is hosting a five-day conference of the Electoral Commissioners Forum for SADC countries in the commercial capital Blantyre. This is despite the fact that the Human Rights Defenders Coalition, the HRDC, continues to pressure the Malawi Electoral Commission's chairperson, Jane Ansah, in order to resign on claims that she mismanaged the May 21st presidential elections. George Mhango reports from Blantyre. The conference started on Monday and is held at a time when Chair Jane Ansa is under fire from opposition political parties and some human rights bodies over management of the May 21 presidential polls. She, however, has not resigned, and President Peter Mutarika, who appointed her, declined to fire her. Ansa maintained during her opening speech that the May 21 presidential polls were credible and approved by international observer mission teams. The opposition, mainly Malawi Congress Party MCP and United Transformation Movement UDM, are challenging the results in the Constitutional Court. The opposition parties want the results to be nullified. The MEC chair, who is also the ECF SADC president, opened the conference, which is tightly guarded by police. The SADC ECF was one of the international organizations that sent a team of election observers. They came before the elections and they came during polling. They gave their report, like other international observers and local observers. At that time, you know, all the reports, and you know it, even the local observers, they endorsed that the elections were credible. With news that the MEC chair is attending the ECF study conference, the Human Rights Defenders Coalition, HRDC, has planned fresh protests in Blanta this Wednesday. Billy Mayaya is in the organizing team. We we'll commence around 8 from the upper stadium in Blanta, and then we'll proceed down Kamuzu Highway up to the 
Mount Sochi Hotel where the forum is being held. Um, we intend to read out a petition and deliver it to the SADIC uh, chairperson who will be present at that meeting. The ECF SADIC could not be drawn to comment on the logic of Malawi hosting the event when the elections are being disputed and calls continue to pour in for the resignation of the MEC chair. The ECF SADIC Executive Committee Chairperson, who is also Chairperson of the Namibia Electoral Commission, Advocate Nomtembe Chipoya, said the matter is in court. We're aware that there are court cases at the moment, and therefore we know that as far as a court case is on, it is subjudicate. So at this moment, we will not be prepared as a forum to actually make any comment on the court cases that are before the court at this present time. During the conference, a seminar on enhancing the credibility of elections through observation is expected to be conducted. Political party representatives, human rights activists, senior government officials are in attendance at the conference, which was officially opened by Everton Chimilirenji, the vice president of the Republic of Malawi. As the Malawi government, we are committed to ensure that elections are well-funded and supported, and this was demonstrated towards the preparations of the May 21st, 2019, Trapada elections. The government funded the Malawi Electoral Commission up to 100% of the negotiated budget. You can see that Malawi is going a formidable job by funding for elections 100% of the budget. We ensured that there were no funding lapses that could have jeopardized the electoral process. And I'm, I'm very glad to report to you that the preparations and implementation of the electoral activities went on smoothly. Distinguished ladies and gentlemen, it is my conviction that this is a shared view with all governments within the SADC that electoral management bodies should be adequately funded so as to discharge their duties effectively. The ECF is a network of electoral management bodies from SADC countries which include Malawi, Angola, South Africa, Tanzania, Mozambique, Mauritius, Zanzibar, and Zambia. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Passionate about raising awareness on cerebral palsy, Taran Zogur of uh, Malamulele onwards is urging people to not shy away from asking questions about disabilities they do not understand so that those suffering can be treated better. Malamulele is a remarkable organization that offers innovative solutions to improve the quality of life of children and families impacted by CP. Living with the condition herself, which is caused by brain injury, Gur speaks about her experience ahead of World Cerebral Palsy Day, marked annually on October 6th. So cerebral palsy is a, it's a brain injury, either caused during the pregnancy or shortly after birth or after a traumatic brain injury like a major car accident. Because the majority of the time it's either in the, the womb or um, shortly or during birth. And the brain injury causes the child to have limited or very little movement. And they don't reach the milestones that they should when they should. Um, some children do eventually reach milestones, but um, in their own time. So in simple terms, it also means that it causes slow development in children? Yes. And do we know how common is it? Um, it's more common in the rural areas than it is in the urban ones. I can't really give you statistics in South Africa just because I haven't really found any accurate ones. 
but it seems to be more common as time goes on, mostly because technology is improving and um, children who wouldn't normally survive a traumatic pregnancy end up surviving with a brain injury. Why is it more common in rural areas? Because birthing facilities aren't as great in the rural areas as they are in the urban ones. And there are major staff shortages in the rural areas, which means people don't get the attention they should during pregnancy. So how does it affect um, children as they grow? Can we talk more about the impact it has on children and those that have to take care of them, their families? Sure. So um, for each child, it is different because um, everybody's brain is different. So cerebral palsy is basically the big umbrella term um, used to explain brain injuries that result in your body having limited movement. So in my case, I was diagnosed with um, diaplegic spastic ataxic cerebral palsy, which sounds very hectic, but basically that diaplegic means that it affects two of my limbs more than it does the other two. So in my case, it's the left-hand side of my body. The spastic accounts for high muscle tone. So I can't straighten my left arm, for example. It also means that I am going to have a really thin, trim body for the rest of my life because my body is constantly working out and doing gym. So that's a plus. And the ataxic accounts for the way in which I walk. So I have a very unstable gait and I fall often, even as an adult. It also accounts for a permanent shake in my hand. So if you see my handwriting, it's more messy than a doctor's. Um, But for each person with cerebral palsy, it's completely different. So you could have somebody like me who's somewhere in the middle And then you can have people who are much worse off than I am, who are limited to a wheelchair, in permanent need of care from others. And then people who have a slight limp or a hand that's slightly lazy. So there are really extremes of cerebral palsy. If you have an extreme case of cerebral palsy or even somebody in the middle, like in my case, it's quite difficult on the family purely because there is a child who needs extra special care and their care takes longer. So if they have siblings, there is a very real concern that those children may feel neglected, um, not because their parents are neglecting them, but because one child is demanding more time than the other. Terana, thank you so much for giving us that detailed explanation. Is there anything that you would like to share, maybe in terms of advice to the general public on how to better treat people suffering from cerebral palsy? Do you sometimes feel that they are not treated the way they should be because of misunderstanding? Very much so. I think people are intimidated by what they don't understand. And people need to know that cerebral palsy is not like a contagious thing. The child is not cursed. It's not a hereditary thing. Their brain was injured during birth. And although they may seem different, they still need to be loved and nurtured. And if you meet an adult with cerebral palsy, many of them will willingly answer all the questions you have. They want to be acknowledged as a person. Um, And I think society as a whole are unsure of how to deal with anybody with a disability, so they just don't do anything. 
which makes the person with a disability feel um, undervalued as a member of society. And I think the more we can educate people about what cerebral palsy is and is not, the easier it will be for people with special needs to um, not feel ostracized or pushed aside. If you have questions, please feel free to ask them. Uh, I frequently answer questions for complete strangers just because they don't understand, and I'm very open about it. So I think if you have questions, ask people. Um, They would be willing to explain to you what is wrong with, with them so that they can build a relationship with you. And that's Taryn Zoe Gur of the Malumulele Onwards, a non-governmental organization that provides rehabilitation services to children affected by cerebral palsy, on the line talking to Jane Rabutata. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching something more something bigger in a south africa that was hostile hello africa this is 1000 african voices and i'm your host aburengui join me on channel africa every thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on saturday and sunday morning between 9 and 10 rise africa rise channel africa from an African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think we should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Rizzo Publications, an independent publishing house in South Africa, has launched a multilingual audiovisual dictionary in seven South African official languages. The Talking Dictionary is the only multilingual audiovisual dictionary that links keywords and phrases to detailed full-color illustrations and allows you to listen to the pronunciation of those terms and phrases in seven of South Africa's 11 official languages. For more on this, Lebukhang Mabange spoke to Christo Ritz, uh, General Manager of Brisa Publications. It is a dictionary that actually can read from the pages the different sounds, but also the, the words. And it all depends on which language you select. You can then listen to that particular language, the pronunciation of those words. It, it is actually a printing, uh, or in the printing process, it is uh, coded on the pages, the different words and the different uh, illustrations are coded. And then when you use a call finder, that is basically uh, an electronic thing, uh, then with that call finder, you can actually then 
it activates or it reads the code on the word or the specific uh, illustration uh, that you are pointing it on. Now take us through the features in this dictionary. Yes, there's, there's, there's quite a few features. It is, it is a 288-page dictionary. It's got about 20 themes, different themes, from national symbols right through to the human body, animals, nature, uh, clothing, transport, or 20 themes, as I said, and it's full-color illustrations, uh, about 2,000-plus full-color illustrations. Then the words that are with uh, accompanying the specific illustrations is about 5,000-plus, and it's all in English. And then there's 200 common phrases also included, and three more than 300 sound effects like birds, animals, musical instruments, and all everyday sounds that you get, like how this, when a car starts, how does it sound, etc. Then all this is in um, uh, available presently in seven of the uh, official South African languages. And still on the languages, what are those seven South African languages which are included in the dictionary? And why seven and not all of them? Well, the whole idea was from the start is to actually do it in all all languages, mm-hmm. all South African languages. Uh, but unfortunately, this is a tremendous uh, financial um, uh, financial project that takes quite a lot of money and then also a lot of time. And we decided let's focus on seven of the languages at the moment and then we are sure that we will get the, the necessary resources and, and, and help to actually do the remaining, the remaining part of it. Actually, when the, the words and are coded uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the dictionary, it doesn't matter how many languages you, you can add. You can just add any number of languages to this, to this file that, that you actually have on your, on your call finder. But the languages at present is Sesutu uh, Salabua, Sesutu, Setswana, Isi Zulu, Isi and then also Afrikaans and English. What did it take for um, Brisa Publication to develop this kind of um, a dictionary? I mean, this is a first in South Africa. Yes, it is a first in South Africa. We started, as I said, to start with the seven, seven of, the, uh, of the languages that were, uh, well, we see it as the bigger languages and say, okay, let's start with that and let's then, as a next round, focus on the smaller languages. So is the dictionary um, downloadable? What you what you can do is, or how it works is, it is downloadable. You can download the, the sound file from from our website, okay. but um, it is it is quite a huge file. Um, so the call finder is already preloaded with whatever language you choose to to to, to actually um, get. Um, you can, of course get all languages, but that might be uh, a little bit expensive. But um, the normal uh, package, as I can say, is basically a dictionary with a call finder, with English loaded on it, and also a language of your choice. Um, And this language of your 
choice also gets a word list with it. Uh, the word list is a, is a small booklet where you can actually even see the, the, the spelling of the particular words in that particular language that, that you have chosen. That's Crystal Ritz, the General Manager at Breezer Publications, on the line talking to Channel Africa's Lebuchang Mabange. South Africa is today commemorating its annual Heritage Day when South Africans are encouraged to celebrate the culture and diversity of their beliefs and traditions. Ahead of today's celebrations, South Africa's indigenous food, culture, craft and heritage took centre stage at the Public Broadcasters Heritage Day celebrations organised by our sister station Radio 2000 last Friday. The event sought to embrace the vast cultural diversity and history that distinctly marks South Africa's rich identity. Here are some of the exhibitors. I'm so proud because I want the people, each and everybody, knowing the foods of Songa, because the food of Songa is building the body of the person. Each and everybody, if you eat, you get the energy and to be strong, and you will be alive for a long time if you are eating this thing. Today I'm bringing tingobe. It's a beans with a little bit of samp with peanuts. And again, I've got a pub. The pub we're doing with samp is a sour pub that we eat as swati. And again, we've got the, the butternut pub. The butternut pub we are using with a maize meal. Again, we've got beef. The sauce that we use is peanuts. In our culture, it's a sauce. We are using with peanuts, salt, beef, and peanuts only. Again, we are having morojo. The morojo is ligushe. Again, we are having the itinzanga. Itinzanga day two is the butternut leaves with peanuts. Again, we are having kukuza. It's a morojo that we eat. We have got a sweet potato. We call it upatata. We've got the pineapple beer. The pineapple beer we're using with beer and the barrier yeast with hot water and sugar. We are storing it for seven days. After seven days, you can drink it. The culture is everything. We go all out. We eat everything. We celebrate with people. When we do the dance, yeah, I'm sure you can enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I'm happy to be a Swati. I will be forever a Swati. Well, Indian culture is very diverse. We have uh, lots of diversity from your cooking to your dressing to your travel, everything, you know. And then it's also a very friendly, fun-loving Indian lifestyle of living. And those are some of the exhibitors at the Heritage Celebrations held at the SABC in Auckland Park, Johannesburg, who spoke to Channel Africa's Ntlantla Masangu. Now, today is the last day of the Comic-Con Africa, a convention of multi-genre entertainment taking place at the Gallagher Convention Center in Johannesburg, South Africa. The annual comic convention features comic books, games, arts, movies and pop culture elements, amongst others. More from Suhail Limbanda, uh, Marketing Director of KFC South Africa, who is the sponsor of the event. KFC has been around in Africa for almost uh, 50 years. And likewise, uh, Comic-Con has been in existence for almost 50 years. So it's it's the coming together of two iconic brands. In terms of why we got involved, um, we're seeing a significant shift in sort of the pop culture enthusiast changing. Um, if you were at the event, you would see a lot of people, a lot of different types of people, families, um, you know, gamers, you know, just people who watch movies and series. Uh, so it's quite a variety of people, and, and KFC serves this variety of people. So we see it as a perfect partnership. So for somebody who's never heard of Comic-Con Africa, what actually happens at this event? 
It's a good question. Uh, Comic-Con is uh, the culmination of a number of uh, pop culture uh, sort of pillars. So we have uh, comics, obviously. We have uh, movies and series. Uh, we have uh, board games. It's, it's pretty much anything that uh, is in culture out there. Um, so in terms of what is actually available, there are five halls, and they all have a series of stands, we have international celebrities who are speaking. There are autograph signings. Um, there are competitions. There's gaming. There's a gaming hall. There's also kids con. So it's a it really is a family event. And what trends would you say are coming up in the tech and gaming space? I would say uh, you know a, a lot of um, a lot of integration with regards to uh, how games are being played both locally and internationally. Nowadays, you can sit uh, around your computer and play against somebody sitting in Japan, and it's seamless. Um, and I think the, the growth of games like uh, Fortnite has really proven this to be to be the case. So this year, I mean, we've had a number of uh, international brands that are available at uh, Comic-Con, and we're all celebrating the fact that we're all part of one big global family. So today is the last day. How has the attendance been since Saturday? Attendance has been fantastic. We saw numbers of 20,000 per day. And uh, Monday was a little bit quieter, uh, but today we expect it to be as uh, busy as it was on Saturday and Sunday. Overall, uh, the the targeted number was 60,000 people. Uh, We feel that that number should have been exceeded. And that was Suhail Limbada, Marketing Director of KFC South Africa, speaking to Ntlantla Masangu. A quick reminder that if you want to get in contact with us, it's very easy to do so. You can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. You can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. That is plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, and you can also tweet us at Channel Africa One. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Tune in to Vision 2030 with Una Pateke and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One, hashtag Vision 2030. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. 
what uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Tune in to Vision 2030 with Una Pateke and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One. Hashtag Vision 2030. All right, the time is now 17.44 Central African time. Let's cross on over to the money desk. Here is uh, Tracy Boomgaard with your latest economics news. Thank you, Samora. Oil prices are sinking as concerns for the global economy and petroleum consumption replace fears about Saudi Arabia's vulnerability. This is according to Reuters market analyst John Kemp. Oil consumption among the top 18 consuming countries rose by just 0.9% in the second quarter, compared with the same period in 2018. Business investment spending was growing at the slowest rate since the mini-recession of 2015-16. And financial markets also continue to signal a cautious approach from investors on the outlook for economic growth and corporate profits in the short to medium term. British tourists who flew with Thomas Cook to Egypt say there's been little to no contact from the airline and hotel provider. British tourists have also expressed distress over potential significant delays, saying they have critical arrangements that need to be met in time, such as work, university and hospital appointments. Thomas Cook operator Blue Sky Group earlier said that 25,000 reservations in Egypt booked up to April 2020 had been cancelled. The Red Meat Producers Organization says the producer prices of mutton and beef have decreased. RMPO chairman Kurs van der Reist says lamb is currently more than 15% lower than a year before. He says a kilogram of Class A lamb is produced at just over $5. Beef producer prices for Class A beef is just under $4 per kilo. He says this is in contrast to price increases for bread, fish, fruit and vegetables over the past year in South Africa. U.S. President Donald Trump has criticized China's trade practices at the U.N. General Assembly. This as he held hope that the two economic superpowers could reach a deal to end their trade dispute. Trump accused China of unfair trade policies, including but not limited to currency manipulation, forced technology transfers and theft of trade secrets on a grand scale. 
Meanwhile, Trump has accused Iran of violent and unprovoked aggression following an attack on oil facilities in Saudi Arabia. Trump has addressed world leaders at the 74th UN General Assembly's debate in New York. He says he's imposed the highest level of sanctions on Tehran and called on his counterparts to act and tighten the economic noose around Iran's economy, saying no country should support what he calls Iran's bloodlust. All nations have a duty to act. No responsible government should subsidize Iran's bloodlust. As long as Iran's menacing behavior continues, sanctions will not be lifted. They will be tightened. The U.S. dollar is trading at 359.33 Nigerian Naira, 10.76 Botswana Pula, at 103.11 Kenyan Shilling, and at 13.18 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.14 Brazilian Hale, 63.98 Russian Ruble, 70.98 Indian Rupee, 7.09 Chinese Yuan, and at 14.89 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 80 pence to the British pound and at 90 cents to the euro. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Now it's time for your sport. Here is Neto Chimani. With your latest Channel Africa Sports News at this hour, I'm Neto NETO Chimani. From the sports desk, a very good evening. Starting off with rugby news. Rugby World Cup hosts Japan are confident of beating anyone. Lifewire scrum half Yudaka Nagare said ahead of their crunchy pool A match against Ireland on Saturday. Four years ago, Japan shocked the sport by pulling off a thrilling 34-32 victory over South Africa, and it is a matter of just how far the brave blossoms have come that their players believe they can push one of the Northern Hemisphere's best teams. Joe Smith's Ireland, however, will be a different proposition from what was, in essence, a very limited Russian side that briefly made the most of a very nervy start by Japan under the watchful glare of a home support with large expectations. The Irish, briefly World Rugby's number one ranked team in the build-up to the World Cup, kicked off their campaign with a comprehensive 27-3 victory over Scotland. On to soccer news. The South African Premier Soccer League race is likely to go down to the wire, just like last season. Mamelodi Sundowns will be the favourites to defend their title, but will be pushed very hard by the likes of Orlando Pirates, Supersport United, Cape Town City and Pitvest Vets. Sundowns is the only unbeaten team in the league, but their mentor Pizzo Musimani is not obsessed with that. No, we're not infatuated with it. I always tell you about that, that point. You play two games, you got two draws. It's two points. I'd rather lose one match and win another match, I get three points. Than being infatuated that I haven't lost. The Brazilians are on 11 points after three wins and two draws. 
Marisbeck United are languishing in 15th spot after failing to win a single match in five matches. The team of choice assigned 12 new players in the off-season to bolster the team, including on-loan sundown striker Jeremy Brokey. They lost key players Sipesi Klendlovu and Fortune Makaringe to Orlando Pirates. Following their 2-1 loss against Mamelodi Sundowns last weekend, Marisbeck United coach Eric Tinkler says new players are still to adjust to the team's style of play. To be fair, sometimes I think where I've tried to be very, very careful, we've got to remember we brought in 12 new players. That's a lot of new faces to bring in. Four of those foreign players that have never played in the PSL before. So if I start throwing all of them in at once, you know, it becomes very, very difficult. They've still got to adapt to the, the pace of our game. Um, you know, you, you've even got players like Keegan Buchanan, who was out for a long, 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 long time. Uh, Tommy Sanguini has been out a long, long, long time. And adapting to the speed of our, our game and getting back into that is very, very difficult. So we've got to be very careful in terms of how we uh, introduce those players. Marisbeck survived relegation by a whisker last season. They finished 15th on the lock and went on to play in the promotional relegation playoffs. Tinkler says they do not want to fight against relegation again. Of course not. We've strengthened this team in order not to find ourselves in that situation. Harsh reality is, there we sit. But now it's up to us to get ourselves out. But do I believe we have a squad that's capable of doing that? Yes. I think we have a much better squad this season than what we had last season. And finally in tennis news. Simona Halep says that winning her first Wimbledon title this year meant everything, but she is determined to have a better Asian swing than in the past years after an emphatic start to her Wuhan campaign today. Halep suffered opening round exits in three of her previous five appearances at the Chinese event, including the last two seasons, but was dominant in a 6-3-6-2 triumph over Wimbledon semi-finalist Barbara Strykova to reach the last 16. A solid contender for clinching one of the six remaining spots in the WTA finals in Shenzhen, sixth-ranked Halep also has a shot at finishing the year as world number one for a third consecutive time, with a strong finish to the season in Asia. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Ito Chemani. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up Africa Digest from myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Luanda Maome, technical producer Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you so much for listening. Should you have any comments on the show, be sure to send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, and you can tweet us at Channel Africa One. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective.